your Bibles, put them over your heart and say this with me. A little less space there. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. It's how he thinks. It reveals to me who God says I am and tells me what God says I can have. Because it's how he thinks, I choose to believe and act on what I'll read. And therefore I am transformed. Amen. We've been in a study of the book of Romans and we're in chapter 7 presently. And today we're going to continue with verses 12 through the end of the chapter, verse 25. Francois Dutrois, author of the Mirror Bible, said this, and I quote, Faith is not a decision we make to give God a chance. Faith is realizing our inclusion in what happened on the cross and in the resurrection of Christ, end quote. I wonder how many of us have approached Christianity as, well, I'll give this a chance. Chapter 7 here of Romans has led many a Christian to feel that way about Christianity. I'll, I'll give this a chance, but you know, really, it's a struggle. It's hard to be a Christian. And, and in fact, Paul said in chapter 7, I've heard many people say this. Paul said in chapter 7 that it's, you know, it's kind of hit and miss. You're going to have bad days and you're going to have good days. You're going to have you're going to have days you regret getting out of bed and days that are better, and it's just, it's a struggle, you know. It's a constant struggle being a Christian. And it has a lot to do with this idea that we're giving God a chance. Lord, if you can, if you can help me, if you can make this work, if you can make Christianity exciting, then, you know, I see that it's exciting for some Christians, especially ones that have a lot of money. Tends to be more exciting for Christians that have a lot of money, you know. But I know a lot of Christians that it, it, it's just not very exciting. To, to, if you were to look at their life, you wouldn't be drawn. You, there wouldn't be anything there that, you would, that would attract you. Keep working on it, guys, back there. We're going to discover today how to move from a life of spiritual conflict and obligation, always full of good intentions, to a life free of condemnation and full of life. That's what we're going to discover in chapter 7, contrary to the way that so many do approach it. Let's look together. Romans chapter 7. Everybody's found it, right? Except me. All right, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Romans chapter 7. We'll start reading in verse 12. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and it's righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, and that I'm of the flesh sold under sin. That's an important comment in verse uh, 14 here. Maybe mark it, make note of it. We'll return to it. For we know that the law is spiritual, 
But I am of the flesh sold under sin. Verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but the ability... But not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do good, I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want. That's what I keep doing. Now, if I do not do what I want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells within me. Do you see how your approach to chapter 7 could lead you to believe, I, this is kind of a chance. I'll give God a chance here, but I'm not sure this is going to work. Verse 21, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve. Read it. Now as we continue in these verses for this morning, we are springboarding off of our last message in the previous verses, verses 1 through 11, where Paul argues that sin no longer has any power or influence over me because of my identity with Christ's death. I'm dead. He says the way to deal with sinful inclinations is to just recognize I'm dead. I died with Christ. He also argues that we're married to another. You'll remember in that message how that Jim played the part of the officer, the police officer who came up and put me in cuffs, handcuffs, and led me around in bondage. And how that Paul says in the first 11 verses of, of this chapter that we're married to another now. We're free from that bondage, that obligation that we had to the life and the law of sin. What's confusing is that after arguing that, Paul seems to jump right back in to this dichotomy, this issue, this chance-driven Christian life of somewhat of a dual nature. So verses 12 through 14 again. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy. It's righteous and it's good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become uh, sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Paul's making a point here that nothing in the law can bring life. What is the law? Well, to be sure, it's first and foremost the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, the writings of the prophets, 
Uh, in general, the Old Testament is often referred to as the law as well. But specifically, it has to do with the writings called the law in the first five books of Moses. I want to broaden that, though, because we have plenty of reference in the New Testament to the spirit of the law. And so the spirit of the law can also mean this. It may be considered any set of obligations that require obedience before God will bless us. This is the very nature of what changed in Adam's relationship with God. When Adam fell, immediately the relationship of favor and blessing that he walked in changed. And it became a relationship of law where he had to do something. He had to behave in a certain way to get God to bless him. And so is the story. So is the account and the history of the nation of Israel and almost all of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Paul's issue with the law is that it has no ability to produce life, and therefore it lacks the power to confront sin, to destroy sin, to deal with sin. So Paul says, there is a wrestling with sin And I realize that there's still this law going on. In my mind, I serve the law of God, but in my flesh, I serve the law of my members. Galatians chapter 3, verse 21 and 22 says this, Is the law then against God's promises? Of course not. No, if a law had been given that could have given life, then covenant membership really would have been by the law. But the Bible shut up everything together under the power of sin so that the promise, which comes by the faithfulness of Jesus, the Messiah, should be given to those who believe. Dear ones, this is life-changing. Paul says, if the law could have given covenant life, then that's where we could be living. But it's impossible. So Jesus came into the picture. And through the faithfulness of Jesus, we now can experience a relationship with God that's free from the law. Question. If the law is incapable of bringing or giving life, why do so many congregations today preach the law? Pastor Jeff, we'd like to hear a few more messages around here on holiness. (laughs) You never talk much about sin. You know why? Because if I start talking about sin, it will produce in you more of the same. If I start preaching on holiness, you will have some of the worst months of your life. Because what will be held up before you is this this standard that you can't possibly live by. Because nothing in the law produces life. It was and is the faithfulness of Jesus. 
It's not my faithfulness to Jesus. It's the faithfulness of Jesus to complete his mission of what he did when he died, was buried, and rose again. It's that faithfulness Jesus lived by in completing his mission that brings me into a place now, Paul is arguing, where I am no longer subject to the law. I am dead to sin. And yet there is this presentation in these 12 or 13, 14 verses of the last part of chapter 7 of this sort of dual nature. It's as though there's a dual nature of the believer. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That part of me that loves God and that part of me that hates is, you know, trying to obey and be a Christian. That, that part of me that loves to worship, come here on Sunday and worship God, and that part of me that loves to sin during the week. That part of me that says, I love you, Jesus, and that part of me that during the <clears throat> week when I was on the highway and somebody cut me off, I... I gave him the middle finger wave. I mean, what, what is that? You know, what, what, what is that thing that goes on within us? That part of me that can come into the sanctuary of the Lord like this on Sunday and worship the Lord and be mindful of the Lord and love the Lord and sensitive to His presence, maybe even prophesy and operate in the gifts of the Spirit and then get home and during the week want to go get loaded. <laughs> Am I talking to the right group of people? Are you like just embarrassed to admit that's where you live or you, you never have those desires, right? You all are just, I think I need to pastor a different congregation because you're looking at a guy that, that lives you know, every week in the reality of this argument of this sort of supposed dual nature. I mean, look, look at what we read in verses just 15 through 23. I'm going to summarize verses 15 through 23 without reading them. I'm going to summarize them. Watch this. You can look in your Bible and, and see because I'm, I'm taking the words literally uh, 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 from there. But I'm quoting. I do not understand my actions. I do not do what I want. I do the thing I hate. Nothing good dwells in me. I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. I do not do good, the good that I want to. The evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. There's a war going on in my mind, and it makes me captive to the law of sin. Oh, my gosh. OMG. That's the Christian experience? That's why I titled this message this morning, Why I Cannot Give God a Chance. I thought that might get somebody's attention. Maybe out on the internet, maybe, you know. Our messages are listened to literally around the world. We saw here recently where somebody's listening to it now in Kenya. So I just want to say to you, there's a reason why I cannot give God a chance. I say to all of you, there's a reason why you cannot give God a chance. Now, it's 
curious about this condition that Paul's talking about in chapter 7. Is he talking about a believer? Or is he talking about an unbeliever? I was always taught he's talking about a believer. This is the dual nature of the believer. You know, we're, we're saved, but we still, you know. Well, consider something. Verse 5. Verse 5 puts everything in context. We didn't read it, but here it is. While we were living in the flesh, that's verse 5. Let's let, turn to it. Go ahead, turn to it. Uh, do you have the ability to throw that up real quick, Jerry, for me? 7, verse 5. Chapter 7, verse 5. So everybody can see it. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of... I'm in chapter 8, excuse me. That didn't sound right. Verse 5, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. That's the context. While we were living in the flesh, I submit to you, we're not living in the flesh anymore. Now, you can go back there. You can dip into that. But that's not where we live. Also consider this. There is a complete absence of any mention of the Holy Spirit in chapter 7. But when you get over into chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned over 19 times. Is there any reason for that in what Paul is arguing? Remember, there weren't chapter and verses when Paul wrote this. He was writing a letter. You have to read it as a whole. You can't just break it down verse by verse and then develop doctrine out of that. You, 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 you know what I mean? You've got to take things in context. You've got to take things in terms of the thought of the day. You've got to listen and watch who was he speaking to. Why was he writing this letter? What is he arguing? In verse 7, he's making an argument about a previous existence that used to be master but now, by the time we get to chapter 8, he's going to bring in the life of the Holy Spirit, and he's going to say, your life has changed. You have a new nature. You are no longer this person. Look at verse 14. He says in verse 14 that the individual that he's speaking of here, this, this chance relationship with God, this back and forth, this dual nature, he says... We are sold under sin. Does that, does that speak of the new creation? Is that a new believer? No. I am not sold under sin. I used to be sold under sin, but I'm not still sold under sin. See, there's nothing in chapter 7, really, that speaks of the new birth as we know it in the Pauline gospel or Pauline revelation. But let me give it to you. Let's consider 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and verse 21. And uh, Jerry, since I didn't put 2 Corinthians there, you may have just pulled Romans 7, 17 and 21. It's not. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and verse 21. So if you find that, fine. I'm going to go ahead. If you can get that, go ahead and put it up on the screen. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Does that sound like the argument we're dealing with in chapter 7? In these verses where he says, I do not understand my actions. I do not do what I want. I do the thing I hate. Nothing good dwells in me. I have the desire to do what is right, but the ability to carry it out escapes me. I do not do the good I want. The evil I do not want, I keep on. Does that sound like this? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new species. That's the literal Greek rendering. A species that never existed before. You are a new creation. Hallelujah. Now, we go down in that chapter, chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. And in verse 21, he says this. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Does that sound like chapter 7? No. What you've got to understand about chapter 7 is why Paul is arguing it. He, he's concluding the first six chapters in saying, it's very clear. We were all under sin and we were despicable. I mean, we were separated from God and sin is a despic despicable, hateful uh, thing. And it's, it's a law. It's, it's, it's the nature. It, it, it was our former nature. But then Christ came. And what the law for thousands of years couldn't accomplish, Jesus accomplished by his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus did what the law could never, never do. The law could never give life. It could never free the nation of Israel and the Jewish people from the power of the nature of sin. It could never do it. It could never cause you to be right with God and have peace with God and have a life-giving relationship with God. The law could never do that. That's what he's arguing. And so he says, he's just pointing out, woe is me. Man, there's this war going on until you are born again from above. And you know what the beauty of that? I had nothing to do with it. It was the faithfulness of Jesus that did it all, that purchased this glorious new birth all I did was say, yes, Lord, I receive it. Hallelujah. I want to repeat our opening statement from Francois Dutrois. Faith is not a decision we make to give God a chance. Faith is realizing our inclusion in what happened on the cross and the resurrection of Christ. I want you, everyone, please, congregation, would you read that aloud with me? Ready? Read. Faith is not a decision we make to give God a chance. Faith is realizing our inclusion in what happened on the cross and in the resurrection of Christ. All right. Let's zero in then now as Paul closes chapter 7 on what he's saying. He is saying that for the believer in Jesus Christ, the Christ follower, while you've had this law of sin in your members, and it's still, I mean, if you want to dip back into that old life, if, 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 if you want to give your thought life back to that law of sin, you will of sin, 
you will of the law of sin reap the fruit of it. All right. Christians can still go back to it. But I categorically deny that you have this two nature thing. You have the good nature, which is Christ, and you have the old nature still in you, and you just are always going to sin. There's nothing you can do about it. You don't have any power over it. No! A thousand times. No! I am a new creature. I have his nature. I have God's DNA. Do I sin? Yes. Do I still wrestle with a thought life? Yes. But I have absolute victory over it through Jesus Christ. I don't have to live there. I don't have to live in this state that Paul says, Woe is me. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Who shall deliver me from this body of death? You see, his spirit was already saved. But he's dealing now with a latent body of death. All right. I want to set you free this morning. I'm, I'm speaking on his behalf. I can't set you free. You relate. I'm preaching. I want to loose you from living a life of good intentions. Living a life of good intentions is over this morning. We are no longer going to give God a chance. We are going to live in the life that he ordained and that he purchased for us. You willing to do that? No chance. We're not, we're not giving God a chance. We are saying, God, I choose by faith to live in the life and to enjoy the life that you, through the faithfulness of Jesus, purchased for me. You ready to go there? How many of you are ready to go there? I want to see some hands. All right, that's most of you. Good. Well, then I have a reason to continue. Here's the mirror Bible of verse 19. The mirror translation of verse 19. Chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, verse 19. I think Jerry's going to have it for you here. Willpower has failed me. This is how embarrassing it is. The most diligent decision that I make to do good disappoints. The very evil I try to avoid is what I want to do. Anybody been there? And so what we've accepted is, well, that means I just have to live that way. That's a dual nature. I love Francois's notation in the margin. Listen. If mere quality decisions could rescue man, the law would have been enough. Good intentions cannot save man. The revelation of what happened to us in Christ's death is what brings faith into motion to liberate from within. Faith is not a decision we make to give God a chance. Faith is realizing our inclusion in what happened on the cross and in the resurrection of Christ. So, we now approach verse 24 and 25. Ready? Watch this. And we'll have it for you on the screen. And this is Weiss' translation of verse 24 and 25. Here, here's how Paul deals with this dichotomy. Wretched man, I, who shall deliver me out of this body of death? 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Therefore, I myself with my mind serve the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. So he says, I'm born again and I have a mind that loves God, but there is that flesh that Christ has taken care of. Who's going to deliver me? There is an answer in Jesus Christ. Now, you don't get the full answer in verse 24 and 25. Remember, this is a letter, right? It wasn't, this wasn't broken down into chapter and verses. When Paul wrote this letter, they kept reading. You know what we do? We stop at verse 25. We've read the rest of chapter 7, and we've already developed all kinds of doctrines about the dual nature of Christians and how that, you know, at best, we're just kind of giving God a chance. You know, it's kind of hit and miss, you know, with God. Some days will be good. Some days, you know, I'll just give in to sin. But the letter doesn't read that way. So let's go to chapter 8. The first four verses, watch this. Therefore now, whenever you find a therefore in the Bible, find out why it's therefore. All right, so let's read it. It's all one letter, right? Wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me out of this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, I myself with my mind serve the law of God, but with my flesh the law of sin. Therefore... Because of that issue, there is not even one bit of condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit, here's the Holy Spirit now, never mentioned in chapter 7, and all of a sudden he comes into view here. For the law, remember what we're dealing with, the law of sin, Now there's a new law coming into view. For the law of the Spirit, that of the life of Christ, Jesus, freed you once for all from the law of the sinful nature and death. Ah, yes, thank you, Jesus. There's my answer. Let's read it aloud together, Jerry. Verses uh, 1 and 2. Ready? Read. Therefore now, there is not even one bit of condemnation to those who are in Christ. Stop. Are you in Christ Jesus? If you're not, it's okay, but we'd encourage you, consider. Well, I don't know if I can live the Christian life. Exactly right. You can't. You will miserably fail if you try. You'll be doing nothing more than giving God a chance. And that's not what he made this Christian experience to be. That's not why he sent Jesus, to give you and me a chance. You can't live this life. You're not going to try. You're going to give it all to Jesus. You're going to die to everything you are. And you're going to become a new creature. It's called the new birth. Let's read. Ready? Read. Therefore now there is not even one bit of condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit, that the life in Christ Jesus, freed me once for all from the law of the sinful nature and of death. When was it done? Once for all. When was it done? 
back when Jesus died, was buried and rose again. So what do you do when you do sin? Do you spend days and weeks repenting, beating up on yourself, laboring over that, man, I've tried again and again, and I just can't get victory over this. That's exactly where God wants you. I mean, until you and I come to the end of ourself, until we come to the end of our trying, until we come to the end of our effort and our activity, trying to be good, trying to change our behavior, you will never experience Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 8. It is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that conquers the old nature, not something I try to do. And that's where in the next two weeks, it'll take me two weeks, I'm sure, God willing, two weeks, maybe three. I'm hoping for just two because I'm very excited about the new series that we're going to have for the summer that's in your bulletin. Don't get it out. Don't look right now. I need you here. I need you here. I'm not done just yet. I'm hoping to finish chapter 8 in the next two weeks. And with that, you are going to have a whole new view of what it is to be a Christian. It's called living the life of the Spirit. All right. Jerry, verse 3 and 4. This is again from Weiss translation. We're reading Romans chapter 8. This is all one letter. For that which is an impossibility for the law, because it was weak through the sinful nature. Everybody say amen. <laughs> God, having sent his son in the likeness of flesh, the flesh of sin, and concerning sin, condemned sin in the sinful nature in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be brought to completion in who? Where is everything that the old covenant ever required in terms of morality and holiness completed? In me. It's done for me. It might be brought to completion in us, not as dominated by the sinful nature, but ordering our behavior, excuse me, not as dominated by the sinful nature, are ordering our behavior, but as dominated by the Spirit. So, we don't order our nature after the law of sin. We order our behavior, I should have said, we order our behavior after the Spirit. The biggest single issue with believers and Christians today is this problem of trying to change our behavior to be like God. And that's Paul's argument here. You do not order your behavior after the old nature and trying to change it. You order your behavior very simply by living in the Spirit. N.T. Wright, you know I'm fond of him. Theologian writes, that he translates the Greek words faith in Christ as a subjective genitive. Now, I don't expect you to remember this, but it's interesting. Instead of faith in Christ, which is 
often in the New Testament. You'll often read faith in Christ, that we need to put our faith in Christ, all right? Common in the New Covenant. But N.T. Wright, this Scottish theologian, translates faith in Christ as the faithfulness of Christ. Hence, it is through Jesus, His faithfulness, His obedience, that the Son conquered Adam and the old nature. It's not through my obedience, it's through Jesus' faithfulness that the old nature was conquered. And so I just humbly submit to the new nature and the Holy Spirit that God has put into my life. Watch this. Galatians. Jerry will have it here. Galatians chapter 2, Paul is writing in verses 16 through 21. But we know that a person is not declared righteous by works of the Jewish law, but through the faithfulness of Jesus the Messiah. That is why we too believed in the Messiah Jesus, so that we might be declared righteous on the basis of the Messiah's faithfulness and not on the basis of the works of the Jewish law. On that basis, you see, no creature will be declared righteous. Is that what we're reading up there? All right, that's because that's the wrong translation. <laughs> I'm reading to you from N.T. Wright's translation, and I'm sorry, Jerry, that I forgot to give that to you. So let's keep listening. Verse 17. Well then, if in seeking to be declared righteous in the Messiah, we ourselves are found to be sinners, does that make the Messiah an agent of sin? Certainly not. If I build up once more the things which I tore down, I demonstrate that I am a lawbreaker. Let me explain it like this. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with the Messiah. I am, however, alive. But it isn't me any longer. It's the Messiah who lives in me. And the life I do still live in the flesh, I live within the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't set aside God's grace. If righteousness comes through the law, then the Messiah died for nothing. Galatians chapter 2, verses 16 through 21. I love, as we close here this morning, N.T.'s comment about these verses. It will do you well to realize that this is where we live. Listen carefully. Quote, Jesus gives us instead his holiness as our robe. Jesus gives us instead of that old nature his holiness as a robe, his purity as a gift and a power. Jesus takes human uncleanness so that other humans can take his wholeness. He absorbs our impurity into himself so that it becomes lost without a trace and his own purity flows into us instead. End quote. That's the beauty of what happened on the cross and in the grave and at the resurrection. I don't struggle to live like Jesus anymore. I used to. I just accept what he's done for me. His robe of holiness is now my robe of holiness.
Jesus has taken my uncleanness so that I can have his wholeness. He has absorbed my impurity into himself. And now there's no trace of it. And in Jesus, I am perfect with God. We read it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God was in Christ, not counting our trespasses against us. So that he who knew no sin became sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Let's pray. 